episode 23 of Moving Matters. I am your host, Colin Wynn. I hope Moving Matters will give you an insight into others working or have worked in this wonderful industry as I delve into their past, their present and their future. You will find a new episode of Moving Matters on the second and fourth Thursday of each month. In this episode, we discover that my guest started in the industry some 44 years ago when he met a girl at 17 whose father owned a removal company. We discuss how he started his own business in 1988, specialising in antique shipping, how he became involved in BAR, his challenges, his succession plans, what he would change within the industry, and he is the very latest to wear the coveted BAR president's chain of office. And as always, we end with not one, not two, but three funny moving stories. My guest this episode is Mark Chudley, Director of Chudley Moving and Shipping. Enjoy. Good morning, Mark. How are you today? Yeah, I'm good, Colin. It's nice to be with you. Thanks very much for inviting me. Not a problem. Welcome to Moving Matters. Can you tell everyone a little about yourself and the length of time within the industry? Yeah, sure. So um, I've, I've actually been working for 44 years now. I started in full time. I started in 1977, um, about three days after I left school at my mother's instruction. On a personal note, um, I'm married to Lynn. I've been with Lynn for 33 years. We have four children between us. We have six grandchildren that range from 16 down to eight. Unfortunately, there's only one boy in there, so that doesn't help the industry for the future. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And they must all keep you busy, Mark. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, yep, um, quite a lot of you will know my son, Adam. Uh, He he was in the industry for about 17 years. Unfortunately, just through personal circumstances in our family, he's left for the last couple of years. I'm not too sure whether it'll be a permanent thing, but we'll, we'll see. How did you get started in the industry 44 years ago? You don't go to a, uh, a careers thing, do you? And somebody says, I think the career for you is in the removal industry. I think you're either press ganged into it by your family or you meet a girl. And in my case, it was the old story of meeting a girl. Um, oh, so, so, there's always, <laughs> see, there's always a bloody girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so uh, it goes back to 1975 when I was 17 and I met my first serious girlfriend, Dawn. And her dad was Derek Blatchford, who ran Blatchback in Exeter. Oh, there, see, there, there's a name from the past. Yeah. Again, I love these podcasts. They bring up names from the past that you just say, oh, my word, I've not heard that company name or that individual for years. Yeah, well, he's still doing okay. I mean, he's in his 90s now. and uh, Bless him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I met, I met Dawn, and um, I'm sure that when she introduced me to her dad, he, he didn't look at me and think as a good suitor for his daughter. He looked at me and think, right, he's got two arms and two legs. That'll do for the business. Um, and so, <laughs> and so uh, the careers at school, on the basis I didn't want to go to university and I didn't want to join the army, the careers lessons had said, uh, I think a career in insurance is for you. And I wasn't too sure about that myself. Um, and in the uh, last couple of years at school, I used to work at Blatchback in the holidays and you know, go away on the vans and things like that. And then when I left school, I started in the office. So I'd had some experience with Saturday mornings, holidays. And those were in the days when you, know, you went away with the driver and the driver slapped the porter in the morning and made sure he had a wash and stuff like that. But it did at least make him a cup of tea and we slept in the back of the vans. And <laughs> those were the days, really. Luxury then, luxury. Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. I worked with a guy called Bill Hill, who I'll always remember. Then I started full-time in 77, and Blatchback in those days, like quite a few companies, it was split into two sides. We had the overseas side and the removal side, and they were very, very separate. I worked just on the overseas side, 
And my first week, I remember well, I didn't type or anything like that. And obviously, it was the days pre-computers. So the first week, they said, well, you need to be able to type here. So here's all the inventories from the jobs that have come in for the last two weeks, sit there. And I think I spent the first four days slowly learning to type, cutting holes in the paper by pressing the keys too hard and things like that. Oh, my word. Yeah. But, you know, I progressed and Derek taught me to uh, estimate. And so that really was how I progressed there, doing quotes, estimating. And I did 18 months with Blatchback at Exeter before Derek Blatchford and Bert Waddington had a um, joint operation in Stockport. Right. And um, it was it was John Bradshaw and Sons that they bought out from the Bradshaw family. And um, you probably know Bradshaws now as Britannia Bradshaws, yeah. which Mike Andrews runs. But Absolutely. In those days, it had progressed from Harry Bradshaw, sorry, from John Bradshaw who started it to Harry Bradshaw's son and Harry was retiring and Derek Blatchford and Bert Waddington had bought it between them. And, and one Christmas, I'd only been working for 18 months, Derek said to me, um, he said, our manager's left in Stockport, he said, and we haven't got anybody up there. And he said, we just need somebody to cover. He said, just for a month while we recruit a manager. And he said, I know you're fairly inexperienced. He said, but would you mind going to Stockport? Well, obviously, the first thing I did was get out the map and see where Stockport was. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I, a little bit north of it. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. And uh, straight after Christmas, I went up there for my first week up there. And uh, my four weeks turned into four years. And they, they never did, they oh, never wow. did recruit a, a manager up there. I stayed there really until both Derek and Bert Waddington had decided that uh, they didn't want to continue with the branch. And at that stage, it was sold to um, Malcolm Haley. Lovely yeah, man. Great, lovely, great lovely guy. man, Malcolm Haley. Prior to starting work and going to Stockport, the girlfriend became the wife. We had a baby. So um, I had a daughter then, Joanne, who was one um, when we moved up there. So my, my life in Stockport was really... Um, it was, a, it was an interesting time. It was a time I met a lot of people, and it was time I really got involved in the industry. You know, I met the likes of Robinson's had a branch there, and I met a guy called David Hoyle, who was, he almost took me under his wing because I was so far away from our base. A guy called Phil Redding, who ran Barlow's Press, which unfortunately I don't feel is no longer with us, but just such a lovely guy. People like Alan Maxted. And then all the Bowie's guys, and Bowie's doesn't exist anymore, but the Bowie's oh, guys. Oh, Bowie's International. Yeah, so I met Steve Sheldon, who I stayed in Steve touch with Sheldon, for, yeah, for many years. What a lovely man Steve Sheldon yeah, is. Yeah, a great guy. And, um, of course, Malcolm, who came from um, Bowie's, he was the international manager. And then when he took over, Bradshaw's obviously setting up on his own. Yeah, uh, But I think um, those were my uh, learning years. You know, I was far enough away from the head office to be able to do it myself but also I've been so chucked in at the deep end it was either sort of sink or swim really and and I think if I'm fair it was a bit of both yeah so when you joined in 77 yeah you went straight into the office although prior to that you'd done work on the vans during school terms you know, when yeah when off school and stuff like that but when you went to their full time it was just directly into the office it didn't involve any packing porter in drive in well, I think like any office job in the removal industry, uh, yes, it was an office job. But, you know, on the days we were overbooked and fully booked, it was, oh, just go and give them a hand. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I was yeah, always yeah. very happy to do that. It was uh, fairly diverse in what they did. And the, especially with the overseas side, you know, they had their own crate making division. There was always interesting. There was always something different going on. At one stage, I remember uh, we um, were asked, there was a a plane that does maps or something like that. They wanted to send out to the Falklands or something like that, but it couldn't fly there because of the distance involved. And we got involved in making these crates. Right. The, the plane was dismantled and we got involved in making the crates. That was a major project and, and it, just interesting stuff that used to go on. Wow. And, and this was pre the relocation companies being in, in existence. So the overseas market was buoyant and it also, in fairness, was very profitable. 
Uh, not that I'm sure it is so much today. Yeah. So can you tell everyone about your company and the services it offers? Just reverse just a little bit. So um, I, I did the, um, the Stockport thing. I went back to Exeter after Malcolm Haley bought that out. And then Blatchback also had a branch in Bristol, which was co-owned with Robinsons initially, and then it became all of Blatchback. I, and I went there for a couple of years, again, because a manager had left. I was supposed to go for a week and that ended up staying there. Uh, and then <laughs> in, in 88, unfortunately, um, you know, my marriage to Dawn split up. And um, it became very difficult then working for a family company. So it, it was time for me to do something different. And in the latter years of, of my Blatchback existence, particularly at, at Bristol, we got quite heavily involved in antique shipping to the States. It was, it was a good market. And so where the antique dealers would come over, they'd go around you know, all of the UK. Some of them would go around France as well. And we would pick up the stuff and pack it and ship it out there. And I got very friendly with a, a, a guy from Chicago, a guy called Mike Bell. And when I left Blatchpack, I had been offered a job at another removal company. And this Mike Bellos, how do you fancy working for me? Uh, he was based in Chicago. And I said, well, you know, I know how to pack and ship containers. I said, but I don't know anything about antiques. And he said, well, that probably is a good thing. He said, because you won't have preconceived ideas. And so, <laughs> uh, yeah, in, in 88, I started working for him. He used to come over about six times a year for a couple of weeks. I'd drive him round. And then when he finished his purchases, I'd hire a van. I, I started a self-storage unit. I'd hire a van, go around, pick all the stuff up. And then with a couple of people that I knew from the industry, we'd get it packed and ship it out. And then in between times, I'd look for stuff for him. Nowadays, it's so easy if you look for something to just take a photo on your phone and send it to somebody in two seconds. In those days, I used to have to go around with a camera, look for stuff, get the film developed, send it off by FedEx. And three days later, he'd decide if he wanted it or not. And you know, we would pack it and ship it out for him. And, and so I did six years of that. I did that from 88 to um, 94. And uh, they were just great years. They were fun years. And it, and it really was the, the start of the business that we have today. Because in 94, Mike and I were away and he just said, you know, this isn't going to go on forever. And I said, well, yeah, I, I sort of knew that because at that stage, if I'm honest, I was probably working two or three days a week. And um, he said, if I were you, he said, I would start on your own. And I just said, but I just don't have the resources to do that. And he said, I'll help you. And true to his word, he paid me a retainer for still working for him. He allowed me to start my own business. But more importantly, because he was a fairly high-end antique dealer, he gave me credibility in the market. And so yeah. it was almost as if, you know, if he's good enough to ship for Mike Bell, he's good enough to ship for us. And, you know, I pay credit to Lynn, my wife, because uh, in those early days, if she hadn't worked, I think we would have had baked beans every night. Because, you know, you know what it's like when you start a business. The first couple of years, you, you don't really take anything out of it. We started in 94 with a, an XAA Maestro van with like 2 million miles on the clock. And, and, <laughs> and, uh, and we used to go around in, in, this, in the first days, we used to go around packing for other people. I'm, I know the funny stories come at the end, but I think the first day we, we had this Maestro <laughs> van and we, we had a Toa van trailer. We decided to try and do what everybody else wasn't doing. So one of the things that the other companies didn't want to pack was things like architectural stuff, like the stonework, big iron gates and things like that. So we decided that we would have a go at doing that sort of thing. So I remember the, the first day we went off to an architectural salvage yard up in Bristol, who we had a long relationship with after that. And we managed to reverse the trailer into the van and smash the backlights of the van and run over the saw all in one day. So I'm surprised that we actually actually lasted in business, really. Uh, Through that architectural dealer in Bristol, we then met a a guy who was buying from them. And he asked us if we were interested in doing work for him, a, a guy called Martin Rice, who unfortunately is retired now. One of the big things at the time was wedding chapels in Japan. 
Uh, so they were trying to build Western style wedding chapels in Japan. And so this guy was going around and he was buying up the old interiors of churches and things like that. Oh, wow. And so we did probably, you know, in that first year, we probably did nearly seven months work for him. And, and it took us all over the country and, and even to Germany where he bought up some stuff. So and it was really interesting stuff. It was hard work. It was different. But, and there was just two of us at the time. But, you know, it was fun. It, those were the fun days. We sort of, we progressed a little bit and um, it became clear with two of us, we just weren't keeping up with what we were doing. And um, I rung my brother Hugh one day and he was working for, for Palmer and Harvey as a merchandiser for their garages. He, they merchandised shell garages. And I just, have you got any holiday to take? And he said, yeah, I have actually. I've got two weeks. I said, will you book it, please? And will you just come and give us a hand? Because we're really, you know, we're in the sink and swim situation here. So he, he booked it. He did the two weeks, uh, went back to work, gave his notice in. And, you know, 25 years later, he's still working with me. That, that was a wow. good move. Yeah. So, but so as I say, we started in 94. We really went through till about 2001, 2002, just doing antique shipping. That, that was our whole market. Uh, and I remember saying to myself at the time, this is what we want to do. And we're never, ever going to do removals because removals are nothing but a pain in the ass. Um, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but as we all know... You can't know, say that, Mark. <laughs> yeah. But as we all know, the world changes. And the big, big thing that changed life for us was 9-11. Yeah. And suddenly, you know, our American antique dealers stopped traveling. Just sorry, just reversing prior to that as well. We'd started to see some changes. So the American antique market was set up in a certain way. So you'd have a a dealer who would come over here and he would buy stuff. He would then sell to an interior designer in America and they would sell to the final customer. Well, the advent of the World Wide Web, you know, which I guess started, what, 93, 94, and then became mm -hmm. very popular by the late 90s, that started to um, take away that system of buying because the actual final customer could find the places of origin through the web which they hadn't been able to do before. So that whole whole system yeah. of interior designers and dealers started to change and obviously affected their thing. Uh, and the other thing with the antique dealers, that you know, these people were very stylish people and lovely people, but unfortunately a good number of them were affected by the AIDS virus and, um, you know, it, it did wipe out a whole sector there. So 2001, we started to see the changes and we decided I mean, by that time, we were up to about five of us, I think. We decided that we would start doing overseas removals. And then the inevitable happened. You know, you think to yourself, okay, well, we better start doing removals then. So uh, <laughs> in, in 2003, we bit the bullet and we went to um, MI Commercials, which is now um, Chris Seville at SBR. And we ordered our yeah. first proper removal truck. We ordered a, you know, a, a, re a stretched Renault Arctic with a five-door body on it. Took out a huge loan for it, and my Joe, that it was just such a proud moment. I saw that when it was sign written first, because prior to that, really, we'd bought X hire vehicles and we'd hired from BRS and things, and we bought this truck, and it and it just seemed to change everything. As a result of that, really, we decided to join the BAR. So I'd been involved in the BAR in my Blatchpack days, you know, from '77 to '88, and then really from '88 to 2003, I wasn't involved at all. I, you know, I'd see the odd person that was connected with the industry, but. You could say I was out of the industry, but running along a parallel road in many ways. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We joined in 2003, and um, one of the first events we went to, the Southwest area used to organize a weekend down in Newquay. So we, we went to that. I got presented with our certificate by um, David Bunting, who was the vice president at the time. And uh, actually, ironically, Paul Fox was the president that year, I think. 
we came back from that and um, we were allocated to the southwest area. And, but the southwest area met in afternoons. Well, afternoons aren't great for having a BAR meeting. And um, I was contacted by um, Rhea Russell, Rhea Lane. And um, she said, look, yep. you know, the western area, she said, it's nearer to where you are. And she said, and we have an evening meeting. So I started going to the western area meetings. Well, I don't think I went to very many western area meetings. I think it might have been the second one before. I don't know whether I had a touch of wind or whether I twitched or something, but I found myself elected as national councillor. I think it was just <laughs> I mean, you know, in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, and that was the start, really, of my um, interest in, <laughs> in, in BAR matters. Uh, so, yeah, I, I became the national councillor for the Western area. Good old uh, Dave Hookins was the, was the chairman back in those days. Oh, uh, again, yeah, Dave, yeah, yeah. So, that, no, like I said, that was the start of my, my BAR life, really. And for our listeners, Mark, what is the name of your company? Yeah, we started off uh, just using my name, which was Mark Chudley Limited. And then as we progressed, you know, in, in recognition of the fact that my brother, uh, later my son, and also my uh, younger stepdaughter worked with me, I, I just decided that um, Mark Chudley just sounded a little bit too much like a, a one-man band. So we just changed to Chudley International, which then when Adam joined us, he just felt that Chudley Moving and Shipping was probably slightly more appropriate. And, and so we use that name now, Chudley Moving and Shipping, because uh, I think that right. reflects what we do across the board. You know whether we might incorporate storage in at a later date. I don't know, but that's what we are. But our limited company is still Mark Chudley Limited. When I started in '94, I started off as a just a sole trader and partnership with my wife, Martin Rice, the guy that um, had helped us with all the architectural antiques. He just said to me once in in 2000, he said, "You should be a limited company." And I said, "Well, there's no advantage to it." He said, "There is." He said, "You deal with a lot of Americans. You deal with a lot of big work." He said, "One day," he said, "You'll upset somebody. Somebody will sue you." He said, "And you'll lose everything. Become a limited company." And I did it. Fortunately, nobody has sued us, and I haven't lost everything. But it probably was very words. Good. <laughs> yeah, it, it probably was very good words of advice. And um, being a limited company just gives you that credibility that you don't have as a, oh, as a sole trader. Martin was a good advisor. And, you know, I think the one I owe an awful lot to probably is Mike Bell. You know, without him and his antique business and his mentorship, I think I'd never have what I had today. And Mike, strangely enough, um, Mike's in his 90s as well now as, as, as Derek. And, you know, I speak to him every couple of weeks, stay in touch with me. He lives in an apartment in Chicago and he's doing really well. My two early mentors were, were Derek Blatchford and, and Mike Bell. And both of them taught me how to run a business. But equally, they both taught me how not to run a business in different ways. And uh, I, th I think those lessons were very important. I remember I was out with Mike one day and um, and it was after I'd actually started on my own because I still did work for him after and I was out. And one of the guys who worked for us was broke and, um, and he was asking for another loan and stuff. And I, and I said something about it. And Mike said to me, he said, are you going to lend him the money? I said, well, I said, I don't want to. He said, what are you going to let him do then? Go and rob a garage, he said, because at the stage he's asked you for the money, he's got no other options. And that sticks in my mind always. And, you know, whenever any of our guys have had issues, we've always tried to be as sympathetic as we can and help them out. But I always remember that piece of advice. What are you going to let him yeah. do? Go and rob a garage? No, we're going to help him because we want him to focus on what he's doing at work, not worry what's going on at home. Good advice. Yeah, Very I good think advice. It, yeah, it was good advice from him. So uh, really, yeah, say from... 2003 through to the current day, uh, I think our business has followed a, a fairly level track. We do international moves, we do domestic moves. The antique stuff, which at one time was 95% of our turnover, reduced to about 30% of our turnover, but we'd grown as well. Uh, and then the one other big change that we had is in, in uh, I don't know, 12, about 12 years ago, 
I met a family in Cyprus, the Morton family, and they had moved out there from Essex and Pete had started up a a removal company. He started it in a small way, but they got into moving people back to the UK from Cyprus because Cyprus is a destination where people tend to go and come back again. It, you yeah. often find that people will take early retirement, go to Cyprus, but then maybe after 10, 15 years, they decide for whatever reason, they come back to the UK. There are a proportion that go for life, but there are a greater proportion that will go for a period and then come back again. So it was good business back from Cyprus. Uh, and they contacted us because we'd moved a customer out to Cyprus using another agent. At the time, Morton's were working with another company in the UK, or I won't mention the name, but another company. And that relationship was a little dodgy. And they just said, will you handle this container because the customers asked for you? We did that one. And that was the start of a relationship that moved from um, us doing all of their inbound containers. And then we started advertising for exports as well. And by the end of last year, the Cyprus work was accounting for about a third of our business. I mean, we were doing two or three groupage containers a week, plus sole use ones. Uh, and the only thing wow. that's hit it now is, of course, Brexit changes everything. So the market is slower than it was. And at the moment, obviously, COVID is stopping people traveling. But I, I think, you know, the latter part of this year, once travel restrictions change, subject to them changing, I think the Cyprus market will come back. Uh, and I think it will continue to be an important thing of what we do. It's you know, Cyprus is very much of a colonial style destination. It, I mean, Cyprus can be as English or as Greek as you want it to be. And, you know, they drive <laughs> on the proper side of the road, none of this messing around <laughs> on the wrong side of the road. And, and they use proper three pin plugs, none of these um, things that fall out the socket and catch fire halfway through. So, you know, I, th- I think people can move there. And, and like I say, they can be as English or as Greek as they want to. And that's why it appeals. Plus, no small mention of the fact that the sun shines all the time, which is good. So what percentage of your business is uh, domestic moving then? Uh, it's a fairly small percentage, actually. Um, prior to the end of last year, it probably was only 10 to 15% in, right. in, in terms of UK domestic. Yeah. But we are going to build on that over the next year or so. And um, we'll talk about this a bit later, but you know, we've become part of the Fox group. So uh, Fox have contracts with military moving and things like that. So we, we're picking up on that type of work for our area, which, which is good as well. I would think as we move forward, the percentage of domestic moving will increase. Yeah. Do you do commercial moves at all? No, we don't. We, I, I, I've no experience of commercial moves at all. And the area we're in, you know, we're between Taunton and Yeovil. It's a fairly, it's a fairly yeah. rural area. So our nearest, nearest big town is Bristol. Well, Bristol's probably overrun with commercial movers. Going in the other direction is Exeter, but there doesn't tend to be the quantity of work there. Right. So it's something we've never done. We'll do, um, on the commercial side, you know, we'll do some commercial shipping. So I think shipping is still our predominant. Yep. Yeah, over 50% of what we do is shipping. And I think that if we had the right person, we could probably develop the commercial shipping side as well because we, we followed sort of a bit in the Blatchpack footsteps of we'll do anything we can. And so we're registered. We make our own crates uh, and that, that helps sell our shipping services. Excellent. So in these 44 years... yeah. What challenges have you had to overcome? I've, I've loved my job, I think, all through the years. Like everybody else, you know, you have days when you come home and you want to bang your head against the brick wall or things like that. But <laughs> I, I think the job has been... That's every day for me. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the, the job has been so varied and, and we've, you know, with the people I've worked with have been fun most of the time. Going back in the early days, the, the biggest challenge was, you know, we had no money. We were just all the time we would live from from hand to mouth in the way we did. Uh, and um, I've always treated 
our, you know, our suppliers with the greatest respect. And, and we've been like other people. We've been in a position where we can't pay people. And I, and I just found that in the early days, if we, if we rung our suppliers and said, look, I'm very sorry, this is the position. We can pay this next week, this week after. And we stuck to that. We developed those relationships that became so important for us in business. So you know, finance was always a, a problem in the early days. I think in 2008, 2009, we, we had the same problems as everybody else that, you know, the recession then hit us a bit and, and we lost some key people, which was a shame. I think one of the most difficult things I found to deal with was, um, I know it must be about 10 years ago, uh, we came back after Easter one year, uh, the Tuesday after Easter, we had three vehicles to go on a delivery out of store. They were all on the same road and the middle lorry was unfortunately hit by a car coming in the other direction. It wasn't our fault at all, but it, the car driver died instantly at the time. And just dealing with the aftermath, dealing with our staff with that, and knowing how the, the family of the person must have been feeling, I think that affected all of us for quite a period of time. And I, I often reflect on that. That took our, our yeah, skills in looking after our staff, that one, I think. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Um, but, you know, I, there's challenges all the time. I mean, the current challenge is, is trying to find drivers. We've been lucky. We've had a fairly stable staff over a, a long period of time, and we've we've just lost a couple of people. One of our drivers has gone because they think that um, driving for a supermarket will provide them with a better income, and you just press a button and the lorry empties itself, not like with us. Uh, and the other guy who's been with us a long time has, has decided to have a go on his own. And I think one of the big problems is that over the course of the last year, there's, there's been really no tests taking place. So there's been nothing, no new drivers coming to the market, which is making them more and more scarce. I mean, fortunately, both my brother and I have got HGV licenses, so we fill in where we need to. But at 62, I can, I can drive the lorry, all right. But the uh, loading and unloading, it becomes a bit more of a challenge on a day-to-day basis. You can't step in on a full-time basis, though. That's the trouble, Mark. No, you can't well, do it. Doing it every now and again, yeah, I, I get that. If you lose a driver, you can't just say, okay, well, now I'll become a driver until we get a ne- the next one in. It, it's too difficult. Well, so I, I, I fill in from time to time. I'm filling in on holidays. Um, and the other thing I do is, I, you know, I think it's important the, the relationship we have with our team. So we had an incident on Friday. If they ring and they've only got keys at four o'clock and, you know, and they've got, you know, 1600 foot to offload at four o'clock, we'll go out and help. You know, I think that that's the yeah. time when it shows, you know, what a team we are and how we support each other. I do think those things are important because at the end of the day, respect for each other or our respect for them brings their respect for us. And we all come to work because we get paid. Oh, absolutely. Although some of us do it just for the pure love and fun. Well, <laughs> there you are. <laughs> there you are. They're quite hard to find, those people. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think um, <laughs> people who do removals are a unique, a unique band, really. And, you know, it, the, even the one we've lost, we haven't oh, lost him ever. out of the industry. He's just, you know, he stayed in the industry. You know, I wish him every luck in doing it on his own in many ways. And in other ways, I wish he'd just come back again. But, you know, people move on, don't they? Maybe by going out on his own, you'll realize that, you know, there's more to this. You know, having to run your own company and all the things that you as a company owner have to do behind the scenes that the rest of the staff don't actually realise that goes on. Well, you like to think that, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, we've, we've got uh, a new driver that's starting in a few weeks' time, which is good. And then we've got a porter who's been with us a year and he's got his test book for the 21st of April. So I'm really hoping that fairly shortly we'll be back to normal strength and, and we'll continue to re- recruit and, and inevitably I think um, across the industry we're all going to have to pay our drivers more and that, that's what a shortage does 
Couldn't agree more. And, and my old boss used to say it's easier to take a porter and turn him into a driver than it is to bring in a driver and turn him into a porter. Yeah. Because drivers of today that haven't done removals don't realise that they've got to help to load and unload that truck. Yeah. So, yeah, no, and, and, it's, and it is a skill, but I don't know. The, the guys we've got, they seem to enjoy it. I can't speak again. It's any different because I've done it for 44 years. So in the early days, it was us that did all the work. I mean, so I've been probably more hands-on in my life than I have been sat in an office, if I'm honest. Yeah. So if you could change anything from your past, <laughs> what would it be? I probably wish that in the earlier days, I took a few more chances. I think I've been probably a little bit conservative in my ways, which I agree has probably kept me out of prison and out of bankruptcy. But on the other hand, I think we probably should have taken a chance. <laughs> yeah. we, we probably should have taken a chance with premises in the early days and tried to buy something rather than renting all, the, all these years. Because you then get to a stage, you know, I probably got to a stage 10 years ago where I'd passed that opportunity of doing it. If I can just reverse the stage, so so my son Adam, um, who's who's forty this year, he did a few odd jobs before, but he joined us, and and you know I really saw him as my succession plan. And then just going back a couple of years, unfortunately, my daughter's husband Steve runs a a ground care and tractor sales business. He had a really serious accident, and we thought he was going to die, to be honest with you. And so as a family, we decided to support his business, and Adam went to to help run it for a, a period of time, but ended up staying there because, uh, like he said, if, if if he didn't. He felt that the business was in danger of collapse. Well, you know, I'm proud of him for what he did in his allegiance to the family. Obviously, it had an effect on our business and my succession plan. That was one of the reasons behind my sort of desire to perhaps sell the business. So I've been thinking for a couple of years about what we did do. And you get to 50 and you have this um, thing in your head, right, well, in 10 years time, I'll be 60. So what am I going to do when I'm 60? Well, I want to retire and I want to do this and I want to do that. Well, then before you know it, you're 61 and you've forgotten what you planned when you were 50. And, uh, and, and we'd, we'd had a couple of discussions with one of the larger groups about acquiring us. And, and, and that was progressing fairly well. And then um, obviously, last sort of February time, March time, that COVID hit us. And I, and I think that stopped everybody dead in their tracks as to what they were doing. Yeah. And also, I think, if I'm honest with you, it put the fear of God into me as well. Um, I think Mike Andrews summed it up very well with the phrase, um, we all discovered what the color of fear is. And, uh, <laughs> and then I think uh, I was sat there last March and, and I really struggled to see what the future was from COVID. And also the other thing that concerned me was our Cyprus work with Brexit. You know, we didn't have a bonded warehouse and we didn't have some of the experience that I thought we would need. And just purely coincidentally at the time, I had an approach from Paul Fox and um, those discussions led to us becoming part of the Fox group. So although Fox uh, own all of our shares, the offer was there for me to continue, which I've done. And actually, I've enjoyed it. It's added a different dimension to, um, to work. You've suddenly become part of something larger. And um, I can't tell you what a, um, an honorable family, the Fox family are. Um, anybody who does business with them or is part of it, you find out um, what genuine and, and honorable people they are. Has it added to the pressure, Mark, or taken off some of the pressure? Um, it's different. It's different in a way. So um, I guess, you know, the financial pressure is different. But at the time of COVID and at the, and the time of worrying about everything, we reduced our office team. So, you know, I've gone back really to being the full-time operator and do most of the surveys and things like that. So it's different, but it's fine. And um, I think the Fox family have got some um, plans for the future for us, which I think could be quite exciting, to be honest. 
I think it's sufficient that although I don't own the company anymore, my name's still on the top of the door and it's sufficient for me to want to be involved in what goes on there for the future. So I would say, you know, I don't, I don't really have a, a fixed idea of what my retirement plan is. <laughs> I, at one stage, there will be a retirement plan. But I think, you know, if I stay in the removal industry, which I envisage doing, my strong allegiance is to Fox and um, I think vice versa from them as well. But obviously, uh, the next thing I've got coming up is, um, you know, I'm the vice president of the BAR and uh, I become the president in May. So that's an important step forward. Which we'll come back to on that one. We'll okay. come back to that one. Yeah. What is your high point of being within the industry? I don't know that there's one individual high point. I think um, I think the fact that we succeeded in business and we can look back at, at what we've done and the respect that we've had and some of the people that we've moved, I always look at those things and think, yeah, okay, we did okay, really. And, and also, you know, being able to work, although Adam doesn't work with me anymore, I enjoy a very good relationship with him. Um, my younger stepdaughter, Sarah, she's worked with me now for a long period of time. She does all of the accounts and all of the human resources. So I enjoy that relationship. You know, my brother, Hugh, 25 years of working with him and we haven't killed each other yet. So you know, <laughs> that's a good sign. There's something to be done for that. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I enjoyed my early days in the industry. In 1981, I went on a study tour uh, to North America. That was my first time to the States and uh, quite influential and in people I met on that. I mean, I've had my failures, I guess. You know, I, I, if I'm honest, I think probably the John Bradshaw and Sons thing in Stockport, I learned a lot from it, but I didn't manage to take it to that next level through my experience. And um, all credit to Malcolm Haley for what he did to, to it and what Mike Andrews is doing now. So as you said earlier, you are bar president-elect. Yeah. Yeah. What do you hope to achieve in this prestigious role? Well, so just going back on my bar thing, so I became um, the national councillor after um, having a bit of wind at that meeting and being elected. I, <laughs> I, I, I went on to um, to become uh, national council chairman. It was in the era of Stephen Vickers. I had the greatest respect for Stephen. Uh, you know, I know he wasn't everybody's taste, but I had the greatest respect for him. And he encouraged me a lot in BAR things. So from the national council, I um, I joined the board of VAR Services. And that, that was sort of a historic connection as well, because VAR Services really started off the back of a study tour that my previous father-in-law, Derek Blatchford, had been involved with. And of course, David Trenchard, and um, they were you know instrumental in the setup of bar services. So I went on then to become chairman of bar services, which was an interesting time. And then after my time on that, I would also represented Fedimac for the BAR, which I succeeded David. I seem to have succeeded David Trenchard in quite a few things here, but he was another sort of another, <laughs> another industry mentor, really. But I succeeded Absolutely. David Trenchard in the in the role as the Fedimac representative until we left Fedimac, and and things had just changed so much in Fedimac that it was the right thing for us to leave at that time. Although we've now rejoined, uh, and then Ian Studd became the director general, and and in in addition to being DG, is, is a personal friend. I think he's taken the role of DG to a different level and I applaud everything that he's done in it. And I think it was Ian Palmer suggested that I would make a good vice president. Again, a great guy. Um, well, in fact, we've been very lucky with presidents over recent years, you know, and, and from different spectrums, you know, from the smaller company like Gary Whedon, who was a great, great president, you know, to Tony, who, who I'd never met Tony before. Uh, his presidency, but again, a man I became to respect a great deal. Uh, and then I think yeah. with Ian, you know, Ian has been that um, steady pair of hands that have been so essential 
in this last year to 18 months with what's been going on in the world. So I, I applaud them all for what they've done. Okay, uh, and okay. for all of them, they will be um, hard ones to follow, if I'm honest. Yeah, I, I totally agree yeah. with you there. Totally yeah. agree with you. So they will be. Uh, so in my presidency, um, you know, just just to continue the theme of the of the BAR being there for all the members, you know, I think I really am a down to earth president. I see it across the board in what we do. To be honest, in these days, the director general really runs the BAR, and the president has become a little more of a figurehead than perhaps it was, you know, twenty years ago. But I intend to play my part and to, to be there to support. I will be active on the committees and everything, and hopefully, in a few years' time, somebody will look back and they won't just say, "Who was that president that year." We'll see. <laughs> I'm sure they won't. I'm sure they yeah. won't. And your name will be up there on that board in HQ. Yeah, well, well, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. One of those lucky people to become bar president. Yeah. Well done, indeed. Before we just go on a little bit, I probably glossed over this, but some people would say unlucky. Some people would say lucky. I, I, I've been lucky enough to, to have two wives, really. Um, you know, the first one, we were just too young and we, it ended up with us apart. But, you know, we've stayed good friends and um, both of them have been influential in my career and supported me. And I'm very grateful for that, really. What well, one thing would you change within the moving industry? I would like to see a little more regulation. The three and a half ton vans have their place, but um, I, I think unfortunately we're just such an unregulated industry that it does have an effect. And it can be so hard to convey to customers your professionalism sometimes. You know, we all started off in that way. We certainly started off as almost a van and a man type operation. And our driver that's just left to start up on his own, he's starting the same way. And I think if you start that way and you do it in a professional way, then great. But there are far too many that are unregulated, just don't care. And, and I'd like to see that part of the industry just a little more controlled. Um, I'd like to see the rest of us, you know, just believe in ourselves and, and continue the work that we do do, really. I don't know how you change the industry. It's been like this forever and a day. Unfortunately, we're respected in some areas and not in others. And, and it's difficult. We each do our own thing to try and contribute towards that. What advice would you give to yourself just starting out in the industry? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that, you know, it's easy to go back. I don't know how much I would change, really. I could say, I think maybe a little more confidence that we were going to get it right. We should have probably gone for our own premises a little earlier and had them. But otherwise, you know, on the whole, I think I'm pretty happy with where I've been and what I've done. And I, and I look back on my working life with, with a good deal of happiness, I think. I don't, I don't ever sit there and think, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Or I wish I hadn't done this. And, and I don't really wish that I'd done anything else. Although, you know, my daughter, she left school and got a, a job with an accountant's firm. She did her three years of AAT and another three years of tax training, you know, and now in her early 40s, probably earns three times what I've ever earned in my life. So would I have liked to have done that? Well, probably I would have been bored stiff. So <laughs> I'm glad that I've done what I've done and I'm glad that I've had the opportunity to work with my family over the years. And that takes a certain tolerance on both sides. But on the other hand, it's made us close and I've enjoyed it. But that's another good side to the removal industry. There are an awful lot of family-run businesses. It is. And this goes back to what I said in the first place. You know, you either meet a girl or you're press-ganged into the family business, aren't you? Um, <laughs> and, and I don't know. I, I remember with Sarah, prior to her working for us, she, she did a number of retail jobs. And we, we were desperately looking for somebody as an administrator in our office. And I'd sort of been trying to persuade her for a while that it might be a good good role for her and and she hadn't bitten and uh, I think the day I got her was um, one boxing day she was going in because it was a sales and I just left the note downstairs and I just put uh, we don't get up at 8 30 on boxing day in fact we don't work on boxing day we enjoy the day 
and uh, <laughs> and that was it. That was it. I think oh, the, you know, dear, she, good one. a few weeks later she was she was working with us. So, but most of the people <laughs> in our in our business have found their own their own role. We took her on as an administrator. She had a bent towards doing the accounts and all the administration, and she's been great at it. You know, yeah. when Adam came to join us, it, he came as a driver because we were short. You know, he moved into the role of transport and operations really, and and was good at that. So, my brother Hugh, he really had a, a leaning towards the antique side, and, and has continued with that all the time. So. You know, I think everybody finds what they're good at, don't they? And, and they stick with it. Oh, most definitely. Most yeah. definitely. So where do you see yourself in the industry in the next five years? Obviously, you've sold out to Fox. Yeah. Uh, but where do you see the industry as well? Yeah, you know, obviously, I've got my two years of the presidency now, and I'd, and I'd like to have some time to enjoy that and put my effort into it. I certainly don't feel anywhere near ready for a full retirement, although I think maybe in a few years I might perhaps do a little less than I do now. I mean, sometimes the, the seven o'clock in the mornings and the six o'clock at nights get a little wary. But um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I think that having joined the Fox Group, I can see that maybe there's some opportunities for me going forward that, that I might fit into. And, and like I say, there's a couple of interesting projects that they've got on the go that relate to us. And I, I won't say any more about it at the moment until Paul's ready to, but I think I'd like to be part of those. I don't envisage now doing anything else in the industry other than perhaps within the Fox Group at this stage. I can see me doing something work-wise full-time for the next few years and then maybe part-time for another five or so years after. I don't know. They say you've got to clear the table before you can set the next meal, don't they? But So I don't really know what's around the corner. I mean, if you'd asked me a year ago or if you'd asked me 18 months ago where I thought I'd be, it would be a completely different answer than I've given you now because things change. So how do we yeah. predict? We just have to alter to what's going on, don't we? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, as far as the industry, well, I think, unfortunately, we probably are unlikely to get much in the way of regulation. I do see perhaps that the smaller movers will more and more dominate the market with, you know, in the three and a half ton bracket. I think the other thing we'll probably see is more consolidation in the removal industry. You know, we've seen a lot of consolidation over the course of the last, I don't know, 10 years. And I think there perhaps be more. It'd be interesting to see how some of the organizations that are really just sales organizations exist in this pre-COVID times and with the challenges that I think we may have in the next year or so. You know, I thought last March that we would have really serious challenges last year. Well, I think the furlough scheme and the stamp duty thing moved those challenges, but I wouldn't rule out the fact that some of those challenges are still to come. I couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. So what do you do outside of the industry to switch off then, Mark? I don't think I'm a person that ever switches off. I think that's one of my problems, really. We live in an old farmhouse. We've got land around us, so that there's always plenty to do here. We're lucky enough to have a, a caravan down in Cornwall, which we go to a lot in the summer, and that's nice to walk and just go and sit on the beach with. Personally, I, I mean, I like to cook. So that's one of my hobbies. A strange one, perhaps, for men sometimes, but it's my enjoyment, and um, it's a relaxation as well. And then um, during my time working for Mike when in the antique side, I learned a lot about restoration and mending things and building things. So I do quite a lot of restoration of, of furniture, and I just tinker, really. A sideline to that is anything that we damage at work, the boys bring back from jobs and uh, they say, yeah, a little bit of homework for you here. So I end up mostly fixing, well, <laughs> fixing whatever they do. We, we've always had, one of, our, one of my policies has always been that um, 
if they damage something on a removal and they're honest about it and say something about it and bring it to my attention so we can do something about it, there's never any consequences. You know, I accept that accidents happen and that's it. But if they hide something or are not honest about it, that's the first of the written warnings and they can go, I, I don't want to work with dishonest people. We all have accidents, so say something about it. So I think perhaps we get a few more things back that need a little attention than we would otherwise. But on the other hand, we always end up with a happy customer as a result of that. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, <laughs> I like to end my podcasts with a funny moving story. Uh, Do you have one or more to tell from your 44 years of being in this industry? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, most of them are dirty or, you know, oh, everybody bad language says or this. something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, just, well, just a few, a few recounts. So really, when we started on our own, the um, architectural antique dealer in Bristol put us in touch with this customer who actually turned out to be the retired president of Sunkissed Oranges. And uh, he um, had bought a load of stuff in Venice that he wanted shipped to the States. So we got the recommendation. And the only deal was we had to go to Venice and collect this ourselves. Well, even I knew that Venice had canals and that was an issue. And so it was in a warehouse outside of Venice. So Tim and I working together, we, we hired a BRS truck and off, off we went down through France. We picked up in Venice. And then in our wisdom, we decided that the quicker way back was to come back through Switzerland rather than messing around going all across the south of France. So we went across the Swiss border and then we started to climb and it was snowing. So the police stopped us and they said, have you got snow chains? And we said, no, we hadn't got snow chains. And so that was it. We were off the road and we went to this, with this hotel for the night. Went and spent like £500 on snow chains the next day. By the time we got back on the motorway, the motorway was clear. We never used the snow chains. So they sat, <laughs> they, they sat in a glass cabinet for years afterwards at work as our folly. And then what, the other thing that we hadn't taken into account was it, it was a bank holiday in, in Switzerland. So we got to the border with France and saw the long queue of lorries and thought, oh, okay, what do we do now? So we decided in our wisdom to go down the uh, car lane. Um, we, oh, got no. to the custom, we got to the customs point and they, they said, that's fine, are you empty? And we said, oh, we've just got a couple of bits on. And of course, we had no T-forms or nothing. So we ended up in the customs office. We got a fine for that. We had to do a T-form. <laughs> we had to get it discharged. You know, the whole moral of the story is I probably was, was never fit to run a removal business. And we lost every penny of the profit we made on that job in our decisions of going through Switzerland. <laughs> so that was that one. And then... Um, <laughs> Uh, a few but it's ones. a learning curve, Mark. Yeah, well, it's a learning curve. Yeah, we just we Steep just thought, we thought we thought we were being wise at the time. Um, <laughs> we, we we had an antique customer one time who was quite irritating to say the least, and he always used to come in while we were loading the containers, and we couldn't get it on one day. It was a forty foot container we were loading, and he sat down having a cup of tea with us. And out of his uh, these words came out of his mouth. He looked at us both and he said, "What's the difference between a forty and a forty five foot container?" And we both looked at him and said, "Well, about five foot." And he obviously was expecting a, a more intelligent <laughs> answer, like the volume on it. Uh, and, and just the last one for you, we, we, we did a, um, a move from a gallery in Bath. They were, they were moving out and uh, we loaded the van and everything. And, you know, in those days, any family member that was free, we used to recruit in. And I got Lynn's brother to come and give me a hand. <laughs> and uh, we loaded the lorry and we went to the customer and they said, we said, um, can we just confirm everything's gone? And he said, yeah, that, yeah, that's fine. And then they came out and said, yeah, everything's gone, including the radiator covers you're not supposed to have taken, which he brought out <laughs> and put on the van. There's loads of other things that we've done, that we've done over the years, oh, but most of them okay. involve stupidity and alcohol and things like that. So, you know, let's say about that. So, <laughs> awesome. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. 
Mark, many, many thanks for giving up your time today. I truly appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure, Colin. Thanks. It's been nice to talk about it. Thanks very much. And good luck with your presidency. Yeah, I appreciate it. Very good luck with it. Thanks very much. Thank you. I sincerely hope you enjoyed episode 23 of Moving Matters. Please rate, review and subscribe in your favourite podcast player of choice. And please tell your industry colleagues about Moving Matters. My thanks and appreciation go to Mark Chudley of Chudley Moving and Shipping for giving up his time to record this episode. Thank you again, Mark. If you would like to know more about Chudley Moving and Shipping and the services they provide, then you will find links within the show notes for this episode and on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. And please, if you have a funny moving story that can be relayed to our listeners or you would like to be a guest on the podcast, then do reach out to me by completing the contact form on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. Well, that is all from me, so until next time... Keep moving.